Hello and welcome to another throwback episode. So over the last year, we've gotten a lot of new listeners and we're adding these throwback episodes so those new listeners can see some of our older content. Uh, but before I start, I have two disclaimers. So first, these were early episodes, so please be kind <laughs> when it comes to understanding that the sound quality might not be that great. But despite the sound quality, the content is still solid. So that's why we want to bring it back and reshare this content because there's still some good gems in there. In addition to the sound, we were still trying to find our voice with regard to the uh, format that we wanted to use. Our newer episodes are put together in a much more organized and efficient manner. So if you are a new listener and you're looking at this and you're saying to yourself, hmm, this seems unrefined, it probably is because it is <laughs> unrefined and you should check out our Monday episodes to see our more refined work. Um, secondly, not all of the promotions from these episodes are still active, but all of the freebies that we mention are still active. Lastly, make sure you go to the website and download our Ultimate Negotiation Guide, or you could do it by clicking the link in the description. Um, the link that we're sending you to is www.americannegotiationinstitute.com slash guide. Again, that's AmericanNegotiationInstitute.com slash guide. This is a 19-page free guide. Uh, it's actually, I guess that's more like a, an ebook, <laughs> really. And uh, this guide will walk you through your most difficult conflicts and negotiations. And it includes our three most popular freebies, the Salary Negotiation Guide, the Negotiation Preparation Guide, and the Conflict Resolution Guide. So make sure you take the time to download this as soon as possible. And now, without further ado, let's jump into the episode. Welcome to the American Negotiation Institute's podcast, where we will teach you the skills you need to get more out of life. And now your host, Kwame Christian. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode three of our podcast series. Uh, this is going to be a very exciting episode because it is our first interview episode. And so in today's interview, I'm interviewing my uh, good friend, John Halverstadt. He is, a, I, would, I guess we could call him a serial entrepreneur. He has his hands in a lot of uh, different businesses. So John is a realtor. He's also part owner of a real estate investment company with his brother, He's also part owner of a pharmaceutical company and part owner of a company that builds pipes for semi-trucks. And so it's really interesting to see how he's able to use his military experience, legal and business background to parlay that into business success in other areas. And of course, what's most fascinating to me is how he's able to use his negotiation skills to achieve business success and manage the critical relationships in his life. This episode is a lot of fun because not only are you going to get some great negotiating advice from a successful entrepreneur, you're also going to get some good business advice. So uh, let's get right into it. So I am here now with my good friend, John Halberstadt. Um, we went to law school together where we dominated the intramural basketball league, winning in our 3L year, or my 3L year. 
our, and, our greatest combined achievement, I believe. I would say so. Yeah. I would say so. Until we get this house off the market. That'll, <laughs> that'll be the next one. So, so as you can tell from that, John is also my realtor. He sold us our first house, and now we are getting out of our first house. And uh, but yeah, John and I go way back. So if you want to just go ahead and give a little background on you, that'd be great. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm from uh, Salem, Ohio, which is on the east side. Uh, my family's been there a long time, and um, went to Bowling Green undergrad. Um, at one point, uh, I wanted to be a history professor, but uh, I spent some time with some grad students there, and uh, definitely decided that uh, that was not necessarily what I wanted to spend my 20s doing. Um, so after a couple fits and starts, I lived uh, all over the country. I lived in L.A., I lived in New York, I lived in North Carolina. Um, I went back to something that I had been thinking about for years and years, um, and actually, uh, in t December of 2007, I signed up for the Army to go to Af Officer Candidate School. Uh, I left for basic training in February of 08, um, and then by April of 2009, I was in Iraq, and I spent a year there, um, short a couple weeks, and then uh, while I was there, I, I thought about what I wanted to do. I knew the way the reserves were going at that time. They deployed people a lot, especially officers. So I decided to go to grad school, and I applied to Ohio State. Um, got in uh, through uh, the fact that I was a veteran, in my opinion. Uh, did a little negotiation on Dean Northern, uh, the admissions dean there. I tried to charm her as much as humanly possible. I uh, did my first year at law school. Uh, wasn't so sure about it. Uh, I My first real... Interest was real estate as far as business-wise, and I thought maybe I could get into that. Um, I already had my classes completed to be a real estate agent, so um, my thought was I'd finish law school uh, but start selling real estate along the way. Of course, the, at that point, the military uh, intervened uh, after my first year of law school, and uh, I decided, uh, or actually, I decided to volunteer for my next deployment because I knew they were going to come to get me eventually. And uh, your deployments are kind of like planning a pregnancy. I mean, you're going to be gone for a year, so you just need to figure it out. So I spent the next three semesters uh, in Afghanistan. And then I came back, re-entered law school. Um, and at that point, uh, I started selling real estate full-time. But I also decided I want to get my MBA at Ohio State. So I went and applied for that. Again, put on that veteran charm and uh, got into there, um, despite having not the greatest packet. And I uh, went there for a whole year and then um, split time between the two and graduated in December of 2015 uh, with my law degree and MBA. So it was a good time, five years, a lot of stress, but uh, worthwhile. Um, the last couple years there, um, when I was going to the law school and the business school, uh, I started selling real estate. Um, uh, and now, uh, as of this month, I have probably about 120 closings and about... 16, 16 and a half uh, million in sales as far as volume. It's pretty solid. So yeah, it was it's nice. Uh, you know, uh, my proudest achievement is probably uh, graduating debt free. That's so awesome. I'm here, right that now. That's awesome. Well, congrats, man. That's that's great. So you you don't only do real estate though, because obviously you're you're really successful at that. 16, 16 million is nothing to to laugh at. But you also have other your hand in other businesses too, right? Yeah, you know, I think um, I think. Uh, Anyone um, can do the stuff that I've done so far. I think anyone can join the military. Anyone can go to rad school. Those aren't really that um, outstanding. It's the the thing that I'm interested in is being a successful 
financially successful business guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to take care of my family and other things, but I just, to me, not everyone can do that. And so that's the one thing that um, I've been focusing on um, and for a long time. I felt like I was building a packet to do that. Mm-hmm. So I don't think of myself as a realtor. I think of a biz- as a business person whose one business is selling real estate. Nice. Um, and so the skills, what I'm hoping is the skills that I got from grad school in the military because I was a diplomacy officer. So part mm. of my job was talking to local nationals and yeah, negotiations. Right. Um, take that experience and then, you know, the business real estate experience, kind of combine them all together so that I could get into other things, mm-hmm. um, and other businesses, um, and kind of be a generalist, you know, that's. The world will tell you that you need specialists for everything, mm-hmm. um, and they're right about a lot of things. But I've met a lot of very successful generalists, mm-hmm. and I think specialists specialists tend to get paid by the hour by someone. Generalists yeah. tend to own things. Interesting. Um, Interesting. In my opinion, you know. Right. Um, so... I, uh, my father was a very big, he, he owned several businesses. And so that's just kind of where my mindset is, is right. uh, taking skills and see if I can't leverage them into places, little niches, um, where I can work on, um, you know, creating value and then taking that value and putting it in other places, you know, right. leveraging up, uh, and moving stuff around to create kind of a portfolio of financial success, you know? Right. That's interesting though. Cause I like what you said about being a generalist, but it, from from what I know and the businesses that you're in, even though your skill set is general, the businesses that you decide to get into are, are very specific, very niche Right, yeah. Uh, and I think, I like I like businesses, this is not my idea, this is, this is really Warren Buffett's idea. Mm-hmm. He likes businesses with high barriers to entry. Mm-hmm. Um, we were talking uh, a little while ago about uh, uh, Kinder Morgan. Which mm-hmm. is a business he just invested in, and I happened to invest in it before he did. Thank God. Uh, <laughs> so I got a little value there. But uh, uh, Kinder Morgan, you know, they're a big pipeline company, mm-hmm. um, and they've been getting killed uh, on their stock price because you know oil prices are low. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they own this giant pipe uh, system, this infrastructure that moves gas all over the country, and it's impossible to replicate. Right. Um, it would take over probably a billion dollars to build. And then however much for all the legal and the EPA and everything. Mm-hmm. So even though uh, what they're moving right now as far as gas is not um, expensive and their, their rates are down, mm-hmm. um, they are untouchable. I mean, it's, you can't necessarily get into competition with them. Right. Um, and so with what I'm thinking about and doing over the last uh, couple months and years as I try to spread my wings a little bit further in business, I'm trying to find those kind of niches where it's hard for people to compete with me or my partners on stuff. Right. Um, you know, so. Okay. So what kind of businesses then, other than the real estate, have you found yourself in? Well, I mean, the first the, the first one besides selling real estate is we also invest in real estate. My brother and I do. Okay, yeah. Um, and, um, you know, that requires cash and it requires the ability to uh, get loans from banks, mm-hmm. which is something that not everyone else can do. Uh, but if you think about it a different way, you're in a comp- competition with your other landlords in like a general sense, mm-hmm. but there's no landlord that's going to hold and own every single building, you know? Right. So you, you have competitors, but not in the strictest sense. Mm-hmm. 
you know, you could say that that the tenants are a finite resource, but you know, in any city, there's several, if not dozens, of people that make very good living in real estate. So it's right. a it's a broad market in the sense that anyone can get into it. Um, you, you know, you don't have to have any special training. But mm-hmm. then it gets kind of narrow because then you do do have to have that financial piece, right? Um, so that's the first thing we're really into, and um, we've been doing it for a while, and we're have there's some pretty interesting developments for us. It takes a while to get running in real estate, but once you do investing wise, it becomes kind of a financial engine. You know, mm-hmm. every bit of cash flow you add to your monthly cash flow means you can buy other stuff and grow it out. You know, right? Um, the biggest negotiation with that is is getting a bank to go along with you. Mm. Banks were burned by the financial crisis, yeah. So they're a little bit scared of single family, small portfolios. Mm-hmm. So you get kind of limited in the money you can borrow, no matter how solvent you are. You know. So when it comes to negotiating with the banks, trying to get yeah. them on board, a lot of times when people deal with banks, they say they see okay, these are the rates. It's kind of a yes or no type of thing, right? Um, so how are you able to get flexibility with those institutions? Um, I don't want to say that I have open contempt for banks, but I have nearly open contempt for banks. <laughs> okay. um, uh, you know, Winston Churchill, I believe, was the one that said that you know a bank is the kind of friend who will lend you an umbrella when it's sunny outside and then ask for it back when it rains. <laughs> Uh, they are in the business of making money off money, right? They're in the right. business of generating interest. Mm-hmm. Yet they have an attitude where they feel like they're doing you a favor. Mm-hmm. And you're that's not how it is. You're doing right. them a favor. They need to lend money. Right. Um, so I learned uh, from my dad, he told the story about when he first started buying rental property, that's where I was around and I would clean up his places when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he drew out a list of assets. Like, this is what I, this is the stuff I have. And he would just go to different banks. He would shop his, you know, I have these two houses and mm-hmm. I want a third, I want a loan for a third. Right. Will you do it or won't you do it? And mm-hmm. if they wouldn't do it, well, too bad. You know? Yeah. So, I, even, you should start with the banks where you have relationships. Mm-hmm. We build a relationship with a local bank where our stuff is, our property. Right. But you always want to be on the lookout for other stuff because other banks have different, you know, they have different boards, they have different uh, uh, risk tolerances, they have different, you know, um, uh, appetites for different kinds of loans. Right. Um, and we're getting kind of near the point where we might actually pull off all of our loans from the bank that we've been working with because another bank is offering us right. better rates or, you know. That's interesting. More access. So, um, initially, it's going to suck. I mean, you know, you have to put a lot of money down to get in real estate, you know, 30, mm-hmm. 40%. So, you want to start with like small properties. But the negotiation is um, don't go in there on bended knee. I mean, mm-hmm. you're a business person, they're a business person, they can treat you with respect, you can treat them with respect, but they're not doing you a favor. Right. And I think when it comes to negotiation, I'm very good when people talk to me on an even plane, mm-hmm. you know, or talk to me like a fellow adult. Right. Um, I'm not good when people talk down to me, and mm-hmm. therefore I don't like to talk down to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you start, you know, if they start with the attitude a little bit, that's that's the hardest moment because your instinct is to also give it back. Mm-hmm. Um, but. If the key is to get the loan or to get the deal done, yeah, um, then you don't want to do that. 
you know, you, you, you uh, as uh, Professor Daly said at Ohio State, uh, one of our real estate professors, um, you want to be a deal maker, not a deal killer, you know. So if a bank's snotty, don't give it back to them. See if they'll right. still do it, you know. Right. Um, if you're trying to buy a property and they, uh, they say the other agent or the seller is being annoying, the, the intent is to get the house that you want, mm-hmm. not get back at the seller. Because once you're done, whatever the stress is of the negotiation, you have what you want at the end of the day. Right. You know, if I get a loan from a bank, and even if the guy's a, a total jerk or incompetent, um, I still get the loan. I get to move my business forward. Right. You know, if, I, my, if my clients are buying a house and the seller's being ridiculous, and they won't say they won't repair something or whatever, is it worth them... Uh, you know, uh, refusing to do a $500 repair and, and terminating the house, terminating the contract? Um, or is it, do you say, yeah, they're being stupid here, but at the end of the day, we get this house that we want exactly for $500 more. You know, it's, right. yeah. you got to kind of think what the end goal is and then work back from there. Yeah. Um, and, and rarely does anger help you get to the end goal. Right. That's interesting. So, in order, essentially, it's like... Um, when when somebody is giving you that attitude and you feel the urge to give it back, yeah, what focuses you is focusing on your your goals, what you end, want at the end of the day. Yeah, it's it's a it's I'm not good, I'm not great at it all the time. Um, mm-hmm. I uh, I try to pride myself on being uh, patient with people, and and uh, I like people. I like I you know I I generally love you know my friends and everyone else, and and most people I, I love. You know, that kind of fabric of society when you open doors for people and you, you know, you're, you say, you know, sir and ma'am and, and you're polite. Um, mm-hmm. That stuff's very important to me and I like that. But when people kind of turn it on you, you have to, it, I hate, I hate to use the, this, this cliche thing, but it, it's, you can be better than that. Right. You know? Yeah. Because at the end of the day, you're getting the house that you want or whatever you're getting and they move on and they're still going to be miserable. <laughs> right. Right. You know, like there's no reason to, to match their level of misery. You know, you know, anger is just misery manifesting itself in some way. Mm-hmm. You know, like no one's just naturally angry. They're miserable right. about something. Right. They're a bureaucrat that hates their job or, you know, uh, their spouse owns their life or right. you know there's always usually something mm-hmm. to make people bitter um and you don't have to match them right you know I, I sometimes a little perspective helps you know so sometimes i'll say when someone's negotiating hard or um you know when it's a stressful situation and they'll say well how are you are you stressed out i, I say to people it's better than getting shot at because, you know, being a, mm-hmm. a veteran, you know, I mean, there was a couple of times that, you know, people would have liked to have shot me. So, <laughs> right. um, this, there's nothing here that's that severe, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah, I mean, they want to beat me up over 500 bucks or whatever. Okay. But I'm still getting to that end goal. Right. Um, and that's really the focus. That's good. That's a really great point. Yeah, getting to the end goal with the with the most amount of peace. Mm-hmm. You know, the most amount of peace in your in your in your gut. 
you know, because that's where the stress to me goes. When you get stressed out, it's down in your gut and you feel it roiling, you know, yeah, and you're yeah. just angry. Mm-hmm. You know, you can just go around it. You're angry? Okay, whatever. Well, here are the actual facts. Here's the reality of what we need to get. And just go around, you know? Right. That's good advice. So how do you use negotiation and dispute resolution in your other businesses? Because I think it's pretty obvious with real estate. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So we've got this, uh, uh, we're making like, we have like a little manufacturing company that makes a certain kind of um, hose mm-hmm. that's used for semis. And we're, we're kind of struggling to get it up off, off onto its feet. I mean, it's already had sales and it has like a volume, but it's not like grown like we were hoping. But we've got a subcontractor that makes the hoses for us, and they've been making them for us for years. Mm-hmm. And it's just a lot of back and forth. And, you know, um, in the military, uh, when I was in the military, like, as an officer, you have a lot of, you know, NCOs, your non-commissioned officers, that are enlisted folks that work their way up in the ranks. Mm-hmm. Some of them, most of them are very, they're, most of them are super capable. Um, but some of them are a little more, you know, form, construction foreman types, you know, a little more blue collar. Mm-hmm. Um and they're you know they're used to speaking their mind pretty bluntly, and at times they can be make themselves uh, or, or or make you aware of how they feel about something in a very direct way. That's a nice way to say it. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, how do you how do you motivate a guy like that, or how do you not control, but how do you get a guy like that to do his job? Well, <clears throat> to me, again, you don't want to match his anger or intensity. Mm-hmm. You want to follow through on your end. So he knows that you're not um, just hot air and fluff. Because those people like that have a real uh, detector for when you're full of it. Hmm. You know, because there's the there's the guys that talk a big game. And then there's the guys that actually are out walking the patrols. Right. You know. Um, and so with the same with this business. Um, you know, if our people, maybe they aren't the... Uh, um, you know, they might not have uh, graduate degrees and college degrees and everything, but they do sense um, who you are and what you mean, you know? So how do you keep them happy and motivated? You try to follow through with what you say. Um, you know, you want to, um, you don't want to over-promise, under-deliver. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to speak directly to them, you know? And I think a lot of it, to me, negotiation is being responsive. Hmm. You know, if a guy in any business calls me and I don't call him back in two days, then what am I doing? Right. You know, and I, social media and email and, and uh, these electronic communications, um, they're a crutch in a sense. They help us in one sense and they hurt us in another sense. Mm-hmm. There are so many, um, there are so many conflicts that would be ended if people would just get on the phone or meet in person. Mm-hmm. I, I like that point. So in your experience, can you kind of give an example of when somebody wanted to engage in like uh, online or maybe email when it should have been more personal communication? Uh, yeah, I mean, it happens with other realtors all the time. Um, it also happens, uh, I'm thinking, about, I'll think, okay, another business I'm, I'm working with. Um, you know, we're trying to get into this space where we're a veteran-owned company, like I'm a veteran, mm-hmm. and uh, we're trying to contract with the government on some, on some stuff. Right. And there's a certain office within the government that kind of controls this. Mm-hmm. 
And um, they're having a conference, and I wanted to go to the conference to, like, present ourselves, because it's huge to get face-to-face contact. Again, Absolutely. They initially allowed us to schedule it, but our paperwork's not totally complete. We're waiting on a couple more certifications to be ready to go. Mm-hmm. And Lady said, you know, hey, um, I don't think you, it's not a good use of our time to have you here. Now, the first thought in my mind is like, well, I'm going to have these certifications in two, like two weeks after this conference, I'm going to have these certifications. I'm going to be bidding, you know. So that's like the first thing is like, you get a little angry, like you're annoyed. Like, Mm -hmm. you know my situation because I've talked to you before about it, like with her. You know, so the first instinct is to get angry. The second instinct is to rescind the, you know, what I think of as like the one minute email, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, where you email back like immediately and you just get all flustered. Right. Which doesn't doesn't help doesn't help your business doesn't help your business partners mm-hmm. doesn't help her and it doesn't help you right it helps no one mm-hmm. um, so I replied to her I said I, you know I, I waited a little bit and I replied to her I said I understand your your point I don't want to waste your time you know your time is very important and by mm-hmm. the way this is all of it is true but it also has the effect of me trying to get her on my side right you know a little butter doesn't hurt anyone mm-hmm. you know. Um, you might as well try to make friends along the way. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, and I, I explained all that. And I said, this was a couple weeks ago. I said, give us another week and we'll see where our permits are, like our certifications we're looking for. And then, you know, if we're not there, then we'll cancel, you know. Right. So that was uh, two days ago. And um, I called her and we talked and we weren't quite where she wanted us to be. And I said, okay, that's fine. You know, we'll, you know, we'll cancel. But I want you to know that we'll, we'll, we'll probably have these in May. Like it's coming. And so I didn't get exactly what I wanted, um, but she knows that I'm one reasonable, mm-hmm. two I'm not quick to anger, three right. I'm respectful, and four we want to do things the right way. Right. So that's almost a better impression than going. It was in Kansas. It's almost a better impression than driving to Kansas. That you know that's what I really like that example right. because one it shows how these skills can be utilized in, in these almost everyday circumstances. Um, It's not just like the big obvious deals that you're trying to get, but it's these little everyday circumstances where this is beneficial. And two, you didn't get what you wanted, but you were able to figure out where you could still get value from this interaction. And that's huge. And maybe nothing turned out from it. Maybe she didn't even notice. Mm -hmm. But you, you you can't hit home runs or you can't score if you're not playing in the game right you know um, I, I like that a lot well no, think about it i mean it's kind of i mean it's kind of a worn out cliche but i mean if you think about a baseball team mm-hmm. the more guys you put on through walks and you know it's like sabermetric baseball you know mm-hmm. the more chance you have of scoring runs right the more polite you are to people the more uh, respectful um the less flustered you seem um, the more willing you are to, you know, turn on a little charmer once in a while, but, you know, just be respectful. Mm-hmm. The more chances you have of scoring runs. Right. Because people are, 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 even if you don't believe in karma, it's just people want to work with people they like. Right. That, I like that a lot. Yeah. Because um, one theory of negotiation is that we're always in a negotiation at some point. Yeah. You know, because... There's not a definite starting point for the negotiation. It doesn't start like when we come to the proverbial negotiating table. Yeah. So it's like I, you started that negotiation with her a while back. And mm-hmm. that charm that you put on, it's going to carry value when you actually get to the table to get what you want later too. 
Yeah, I mean, so she told us, uh, like, government contracting, there's a little bit of a presumption that you have at least two years of experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of my business partner, um, he's got experience where we're trying to bid, you know, so he's bringing, he's not with my company or our company, but it's with another company, you know, mm-hmm. so he has an experience there. Yeah. So I explained it to her. And I eventually got her, you know, we were talking and she said, all I care about is the price of what you try to deliver. That's all I care about. Hmm. <clears throat> Which is huge for us. Right. That doesn't, it, it just, literally that means wow. it, we are down to one metric. Right. Wow. Now, so yeah, so maybe she would have said that anyway if I was a big jerk about everything. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, if these people are control points that you want to get through, mm-hmm. if you're a contracting officer and someone calls you and is difficult to deal with, I, I'm sensing they probably can invent ways to keep you from getting business. <laughs> right. I don't know. I've seen too much where people that are good with other people mm-hmm. end up doing well. Right. And and that intel that you got is is invaluable. Right. Because I mean. When, when you come to the negotiating table, you always want to, when you're strategizing beforehand, you want yeah. to figure out what the person's interests are. What, what is it right. that makes them tick? And she clearly just said one thing. Yeah. A lot of times with, a, with most people, it's, it's multiple things that you need, right. you need to figure out. But that, that's powerful. Now, obviously, we've got to still source the product and everything. But she's saying if, if this number is hit, then we will you know, work with you. And that's, that's huge to hear. You mm-hmm. know, one thing that I think is really big, because I've taken a fair amount of negotiating classes. Yeah. One thing I think is huge, um, and it, it's a you know it can be in your your personal life, it can be anywhere, is if it is a multi-point negotiation. There's mm-hmm. twelve things that you care about. Mm-hmm. Three of those might be important to the other side that don't matter to you, mm-hmm. but you can make a bigger show of giving those up to get what you then want. Right? I, I like that. Elaborate on that a little bit. More. Uh, so like. Think in your domestic life. Say, say, you know, you and your wife have like five things that need to get done. Mm-hmm. And the one that you care about least is picking up, they're taking out the trash. Right. You know? But she's a neat freak and it's important to her. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, and you might care about something else. Um, you can make a, not a big show, but you can make it clear right. that you are diligent in taking out the trash. Yeah. And that little bit of leverage can get you over to what you want from her. Right. You know, it's like, it's just, it's just basic compromise, you know, and there's a lot of negotiation kind of uh, fact patterns where you'll see that, you know, mm-hmm. where something's huge to you and it doesn't matter to the other side. And if you, if you can work around it, you can build enough goodwill to get what you want, you know? Right. Um, and I, I just think that's, all day, every day, you know, yeah. as, especially as a, a realtor, mm-hmm. those other people might care about, you know, they might care about their move out date more than they care about the price, hmm. you know? Yeah. There might be something you don't even know. So it, you got to kind of figure out, you know, what the other side really wants and it might not mean anything to you. Right. So it's all about trading things of unequal value to create overall value yes. for the deal. That's, that's cool. So how do you go about finding that? I mean, we can we can talk about like in the real estate sense because it's probably the one that everyone deals with the most. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to kind of do your research about what what is trying to be bought or sold. Mm-hmm. 
if I am looking at a very hot neighborhood at a very hot property, mm -hmm. that frames what I know the other side is looking for. Interesting. So let's let's say I'm the buyer. I'm the buyer's agent. I have clients that want to buy in a very hot neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And this house comes in the market. And every house in this neighborhood is sold in one or two days. Mm -hmm. I know by experience that that listing agent, the one that's selling the house, um, they're going to want a clean offer, which means not like a bunch of weird terms. You know, like, mm -hmm. we want the blinds and, you know, uh, we want to move at, move in 75 days. Or when you see sometimes is um, our contract is contingent on us selling our own home. Mm -hmm. They don't want to deal with that. They want a clean offer. They want to know that in 45 days this house is going to close. Right. Interesting. At least amount of stress on their side. Mm -hmm. They're going to want, I work, I focus on getting the whole packet of paperwork together. To send over immediately. Because that other agent doesn't want to chase me down for paperwork. Mm -hmm. You know? They want the least amount of stress there. They want to know that the packet is complete. And it also makes us look professional. Right. As a, as a you know, like, here's our here's our property disclosure. Here's our agency disclosure. Here's our contract. Here's our pre-approval letter. Here is every single thing you need to complete this contract today. Right. Um, that helps make it clean. And then... You know, you're not, you're not put. It, it depends on how hot the market is, but you got to come ready to buy. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't say uh, we're going to take fifteen percent off the purchase price. It's not worth anyone's time. Right. In many instances in Columbus right now, it's not worth it to go five percent off or two percent wow. off. Yeah. Uh, it, you gotta, you gotta come out firing. Mm -hmm. Now on the other side. Um, if the market's not as hot, then it's a different framing. You right. know, you can ask for some more stuff. You can have a home sale contingency contract. You can kind of, you can um, ask for some furniture or, you know. So it frames what you're looking at. Right. Because if a house has been on the market 200 days, the thing that's come to the fore for them is price. Mm-hmm. Because they're thinking, oh, my God, this is day 200. Right. This thing might never sell. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, before the negotiation, negotiation even starts, that's the framing is, you know, what's our context here? Right. What is happening in this market? How many people, you know, if I'm in, if I'm, for example, like a neighborhood here, uh, Clintonville, if it's a three bedroom, one and a uh, full bath, half bath house with a two car garage, there are probably at least a hundred active buyers searching for that house right now wow yeah so everyone's looking for it mm -hmm. so how do you become one of a hundred you know yeah that's you, interesting yeah so one thing that i think that's really interesting about you as an entrepreneur is that you have a very diverse portfolio mm -hmm. so you have the real estate the in real estate investment with your brother you have the um that pipe uh business yeah and the uh pharmaceutical business yeah. So for you as kind of like a generalist, how were you able to get into such a diverse portfolio with partners? Like why were they able to look at you and say you would be of value? You know, I was thinking about this uh, yesterday. I don't think I have any strong skills. 
really. I'm okay. Really good. I'm not good at Excel. Accounting is not my thing. But the thing is, none of these businesses would happen without me. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean about me? Right. I think the 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 human element, making the partnerships, mm-hmm. you know, making the connections, allows me to get into niches, you know, mm-hmm. with people that already are there. Right. Um, and then um, having an appetite for risk. You know, when people invest with me, um, they know my money's involved. Right. You know, like, uh, I'm not asking in for free. Like, I'm, I'm cutting someone a check. Mm-hmm. You know? Or uh, this, the pharmacy business you discussed. I mean, I, I signed the lease. I mean, you know. And I'm a majority owner of that. And that hmm. actually is only because we're trying to be better known. So I have to own 51% of it. Right. But that means that, you know, I have to do all that stuff. You know, it's kind of that... Yeah, I guess it would be human relationships and uh, an appetite for risk and then just perseverance, like putting together all the packets of all the paperwork and dealing with all the rigmarole that you have to go through to start a business. You know? Right. Um, so that's where I, yeah, I, I mean, I think that's how I was able to do it is I, uh, I try to identify people I believe in and mm-hmm. then figure out how we can help each other. You know? Yeah. Um, and I, to me, that's the, that's absolutely paramount. I, you know, when you hear these stories in Silicon Valley of people working together that hate each other, I, I don't, I don't get how you do that. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't want to work with people I don't like. Right. You know, there's a lot of that in the military, and it's, it's not that fun. Right. Right. <laughs> I, would, I would imagine. Right. So, uh, I don't want to take away from the American Negotiation Institute, uh, but you know, the book that really. Frame my approach to people in a lot of ways was uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People by oh, Dale Carnegie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Classic. The classic. I mean, I love, like, the old stories in it. And, I mean, it's, it's, it's a ridiculously written book in some way because it was written in the 30s, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but there, there's, like, the basics of how that works, you know? Mm-hmm. I would say that I talk differently to every single person in my life. Oh, that... Okay, that's fascinating. So, explain that one. Well, I know what makes... People that I'm close with now. Mm-hmm. I, I know what makes every single person tick, I think, for the most part, mm-hmm. in my life. And so I talk to them about the things that they enjoy or, you know. Um, my one business partner, Patrick, uh, you know, he like loves Cleveland sports and he's like an Irish guy, you know. Mm-hmm. So we... We're kind of A types together, you know, like yeah. Irish sports, Cleveland kind of stuff. Uh-huh. And then my other business partner, Scott, he, he loathes, openly loathes sports. So I don't, you know, I'm not talking to him about the Indians. Mm-hmm. I'm talking to him about what he's interested in. Right. You know? Um, so, and I, it, it goes on from there. I, you know, there's that, there's some story in that book about, this guy is very kind of famous guy is sitting next to a lady and sh- they start talking about sailing and they talk about sailing for like an hour mm-hmm. and he gets up and leaves to go somewhere. And the person was sitting there uh, next to another friend and she said, I didn't realize he was a big sailor. And she's mm-hmm. like, he's never been sailing his entire life. Wow. You know, the only reason he was doing that was because that lady wanted to talk about it. Right. So you engage people on what they like. Right. You know, so like for example, if I see 
if it's like a you know like an older person, mm-hmm. you know they're uh, they came from an era of, of America where there's a little more uh, respect and politeness, mm-hmm. <laughs> if you will. Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, I make sure that they understand that I and I do I respect my elders, you know, mm-hmm. and I let them know um, how I feel about it, and and you know generally people res- respond to that, you know, right? You show them respect. Um, if it's a younger person, I don't know. I sometimes <laughs> struggle with younger people because I, <laughs> you know, I don't know quite what they're uh, thinking or doing. But um, you know, again, they're still uh, first-time homebuyers I've had that you know they're very new to the process. Mm-hmm. I make it. I try to make it clear that, of course, you can ask questions. This is a big financial transaction. If I'm a professional, if I'm here. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to make you as comfortable as I can make you. Sometimes it's going to be uncomfortable, but that's why I'm here. Right. And if you deal with some people in a professional context, they make it seem like they're doing you a favor. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I don't, I don't ever want my clients or business partners to think that they're doing me a favor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. That's interesting. So, so when it comes to the, the partnerships that you have, uh-huh. um, beyond connecting with them, and understanding what makes them tick and making them feel comfortable. When it comes down to that that hard conversation where it's like, okay, I like you, you like me, we, we think we can make this business work. When it comes to dividing the pie, how do you go about having that conversation? Uh, well, who put the most money in? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or who's putting the money in? Um, are there exterior you know, framing that we have to worry about? Like, for example, with this veteran thing. Like, I have to own 51%. Right. Um, is... Who's going to be working on it most? Mm-hmm. Full time, you know. Who's working full time? Who's working part time? Right. Who's not working at all? Um. And I think you know that's really maybe who's most valuable. Hmm. And how do you determine value? Well, if you're starting a, uh, an auto shop mm-hmm. with a mechanic, and you're outside money. Right, mm-hmm. there's probably a good chance the mechanic's gonna ask for a little bit of a promote over what he put in. Right, he's gonna ask for more than his financial share. Yeah, because the business doesn't exist without him. Mm-hmm. So that's you know value. Like if he walks away, then you're done. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, and that's like you know if you see like a, if you have an inventor, you know like those Silicon Valley types. You know you you these guys get diluted, obviously the the founders and stuff. Right. But if it's an initial stage company, like, you got to have them. Mm-hmm. You know, they're the ones that have the idea. Right. You know, um, they might not be good at the management of a company, but they're good at the creation of the idea that leads to a company that needs to be managed. That's true. Yeah. Um, so, I, yeah, I think that's kind of the, the characteristics you're looking for mm-hmm. on how the pie is divided. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, one thing, because I know we're coming up on time here, I wanted to ask how it was getting into a family business when you're not part of the family. Because uh, <laughs> I know a, we want to keep it as objective as possible, but whenever yeah. you're at family, that's that's always tough. You know, I wanted to make it clear to the brothers that I wasn't trying to steal anything and that I would, you know, work. Um, there are um, certain tensions that existed before I even knew um, anyone mm-hmm. <laughs> that are going to remain. Yeah. So... You know, you try to be kind of a neutral arbiter on some of that stuff, mm-hmm. so that you you know you're not co-opted in one of the parties. Yeah. yeah. So that you 
become not an enemy, but some sort of an adversary. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to be outside. I try to do that all the time, actually. I don't want to really become a partisan. You know, mm-hmm. like if there's a big discussion about something, I like to be objective about it. Mm-hmm. You know, maintain an independent voice. So that means listening to both sides. Then you got to listen to both sides, you know? Right. Um, so, I, I mean, I don't really necessarily have a good answer for how to do that, but it's just, I think, again, uh, being calm, being respectful, and keeping a focus on what it is. We all, it is to everyone's benefit to have a successful company. Right. So, let's not get distracted by um, petty squabbles mm-hmm. that, at the end of the day, don't really mean anything. Right. That makes sense. You know, we only have so, many t- so much time on this earth. Why are you relitigating an issue from 10 years ago? Right. And another thing I found interesting, too, is that, like you said, you don't want to be partisan and seem like you're favoring either side. And a lot of times when we utilize these dispute resolution skills, it's not a situation where you're directly involved. Sometimes you have to be that third-party mediator yeah. to, to, to make, that, make the situation livable for everybody. Yeah, I think it's uh, important to realize that there there is nothing worth doing that doesn't have conflict. I mean, there's going to be mm. ir- unsolvable conflict. Yeah. I, yeah. You know, I don't, you know, I think there's a, like, mediation is very important, but sometimes you're just going to go to war, man. I mean, you're yeah. going to, yeah. you know, and it's so, how do you kind of pick those spots wisely mm-hmm. you know how do you keep that from not ruining uh what you've got going on overall and it's kind of going through that process i've talked about you know where you you be calm and you think you know objective about what's going on and um you try to remain respectful but sometimes there's there's gonna be no perfect solution to me it's the solution that gets us across the finish line right yeah mm-hmm. so hey you know person that's upset you get a little bit here person who's that upset, you get a little bit here, you might not be happy, but instead of stopping, we're moving forward. Yeah. You know. And right. in most cases, except politics, that usually works. Right. <laughs> you know. Right. That's interesting. So, it, and that, that's another great point. Because you said you might not be happy, but happiness isn't the goal at the end of a negotiation or mediation or something. It's it's progress. Right. Moving forward. That's cool. Okay, so let's let's end with this. If you had one tip to give to entrepreneurs about negotiation or dispute resolution skills, like what would it be? Like what was one of the things that was key to you? One tip. How long is it? Is it is it allowed to be a compound sentence? <laughs> yes, it can be a no. compound sentence. Uh, I would say the one tip that I have is to assess assess what the end result that you're looking for is. Mm-hmm. So, so assess what the what the end result is, and then have that frame everything else. So, think I of like your that. target end date. Mm-hmm. What what is what what do I want to happen? What is this thing that's going to be? Mm-hmm. And then work back from there. Nice to today. Yeah, and that will get you away from the petty bickering. Right. I know that in 45 days I want to sell this. I, there's going to be a closing. My clients are going to get the house they want if I'm the buyer's agent, or my clients are going to get out of a house that they don't want anymore mm-hmm. if I'm the listing agent. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get a commission check. Mm-hmm. They're going to get to move on with their lives, and I'm going to get to move on with my life. So that's the framing. That's the end result. That's the goal that I want to have. 
Right. Everything else in the middle, you know, I've dealt with some tremendously unlikable people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but at the end of the day, it's only 45 days. Right. I don't have, they're not my roommate. Mm-hmm. I don't have to ever see them again. Right. You know, so this is where I want to go. And then I just come back. And then if there's a, a big stressful moment, it sucks. But you work through it. Identify your end goal. You know, my end, I, I can tell you what my end goal is right now in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to be financially successful. I want to take care of my family. And I want to live independently. Those are the things that I want. Right. And we can start working back, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can. I've already been working through it, you know. That was my goal when I was 22 or 3. You know, I've already put stuff in place, the grad school, the military, the savings, the beginning of the businesses. I've already done that portion of it. Now I'm in that middle phase. Mm-hmm. I'm in my 30s. It's time to start working on being financially successful and taking care of my family, you know. Right. Um, so if you have that goal in mind, it frames everything that happens before it. Right. I like it. I like it. Well, thank you very much for being our first successful podcast interview um I, I had a lot of fun with this hope you did too yeah i love podcasts and uh i've never thought i was actually gonna be on one so uh i, I enjoyed it and i hope someone learned uh something yeah man definitely this was really great information i know i enjoyed the interview but i also enjoyed the insight that you provided because uh this information that you gave is really actionable and uh, entrepreneurs in the audience that are listening to this story and seeing how you were able to utilize these skills and achieve business success. I think that's really encouraging and it will be instructive for us as we step outside of the podcast world and and start to go back to our business lives again. So there it is, podcast number three done and interview number one done. Uh, Before we go, I want to recap some of the his top three points that I really enjoyed. Uh, The first one is getting perspective. When the going gets tough in negotiations and people are being difficult, or in general, if people are being difficult with you, uh, being able to take a step back and look at the whole picture and focus on your goals, I think that was a great piece of insight from uh, from John. Another thing that he, that was great was how he focused on relationships and people throughout his career and understanding that he needs to maintain good relationships with everybody. Because you never know when somebody is going to become valuable. And and not in a a slimy kind of manipulative way, but in a I genuinely care about people kind of way. And treating everybody with respect and kindness throughout the way is one of his keys to success. And lastly, always keeping the end in mind. Whether he's making business decisions or... Uh, strategic decisions within negotiations or conversations, he uses the end goal to determine which move to make. And this is great, actionable advice for all of us as entrepreneurs. As always, thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate your support, and I hope you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. And if you have any questions or topics you want me to handle, shoot me an email. My email is in the the description. Also, if you have uh, suggestions or feedback for me, please send that as well because I'm always trying to get better. And uh, if you like this, find it entertaining or helpful, please uh, subscribe and leave us a good rating and share it with your friends. I will catch you in the next one.